great to be together online, and we want to welcome all of our campuses. It's great that we can come in Robinson and Washington, Ross Traver, Wilkesburg, those of you guys into Barry and worship uh, together and just hear from God's word. So for about the last 30 years here at the Bible Chapel, the leadership of our church, we've been putting uh, forth a, a, a vision uh, through all those years, usually in three-year stints, to develop followers of Jesus Christ here in the South Hills of Pittsburgh, in the greater Pittsburgh area, and throughout the world. And we have been uh, putting forth that vision for the last 30 years, about the last 12 years, We've called those three-year visions Beyond These Walls. Just raise your hand if you are familiar with Beyond These Walls, all right? So we've been doing that, and the cool thing is through those 12 years of Beyond These Walls, uh, we have started four campuses in the greater Pittsburgh area to fulfill the vision that God has uh, put on the, the hearts of the leadership here at the church. We, have, uh, we built uh, a building out in Robinson, we have done an addition for a, a ministry that we love here, uh, a ministry to people with special needs. We've done a lot of other things, heavily invested in those around the globe, uh, our global workers, and we're so thankful for what we can do together. Isn't it cool what we can do together when God calls us and puts uh, before us something he wants us to go after, something he wants us to, 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 to really impact the world with? So it's time to do it again, and uh, we're not going to call it Beyond These Walls this time. We're calling it REACH 2023, Foundations for the Future. REACH 2023, Foundations for the Future. And we have some exciting things to share with you, some things that we need to do here uh, at our campuses physically, some things that we want to do for the next generation, some things we want to do for young adults, some things we want to do for pastors, particularly in the Northeast, and some things we want to do for those who serve our extensions of us around the world. So what I'm going to ask you to do is to find a time to come and listen to uh, our vision. Uh, you can do that, that we can do it with Zoom, uh, we can do it with um, with uh, in person, we're going to have a lot of opportunities to do that. So what you need to do, if you can look at the next screen, is we you just uh, look at BibleChapel.org/reach2023, and there is an entire list of times that you can meet. We'll be meeting in the evening. If you want to meet with me personally, we'll do that. Uh, we'll be meeting uh, again through Zoom, any way you want to meet. Because what all I want to do. All we want to do is to share this message with you so then you can pray and determine how you want to be involved in it. We think it's going to be an exciting opportunity for us during these next years. Now, someone would say, "Why?" by, by the way, you can also text REACH2023 to 31996, and we'll get back to you. Now, someone would say, why would you do this right, at, right here in the middle of COVID, Right? And in the middle of a presidential election, there are a couple things going on around us. Anyone thinking that? Don't raise your hand. We say, this is the time we've got to do it. We say, this is the time we need to demonstrate to a watching world. Confused, chaotic, divided. That the church, here's a group of people who come together to do great things for God together. 
we believe now more than ever is the time to share a clear message of Jesus Christ and what he means to us and how we want to impact not only this generation, but the next generation for him. So we ask that you join us. We ask that you come to these meetings. We'll have plenty of opportunities again to meet and talk and answer any question you have. Because again, it's amazing. We've seen already what we can do together. And we're excited for this next three years to be able to move together into the future. Reach 2023 Foundations for the Future. All right, let's pray. And then we'll uh, look at God's word. Father, thank you that you're a God who loves us and cares for us. And you know us by name and you desire to enter into a, a, a covenant with us, a personal agreement, a contract. And we want to talk about that. We want to think about, Lord, today, how much you love us, how much you care for us, and how you have always had in mind this personal relationship with you, the living God. So we pray, Father, that you would be with us as we look at your word in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this past weekend, uh, last weekend, Saturday at this time, we celebrated the wedding of our daughter, the last of four weddings. And I couldn't be happier about that. I never have to go through the emotion of walking another daughter down the aisle. How many of you have unmarried daughters? Just raise your hand. God bless you. Uh, you get to do that. We had a great time uh, with our daughter and her new husband, Zach, as they entered into, we watched them. We, we had a family and friends. We, we came together and we watched them enter into this thing called a marriage covenant. I love that word covenant. It's a rich word. Co covenant um, uh, formally binds two people together in a relationship that is based on mutual commitment. And a covenant always has three things. Covenant always has three things. First, there is a relationship, right? So a marriage covenant, you got two people, one man, one woman for life, a relationship. There is also a promise involved, right? I promise these things. I vow these things to you. You vow things to each other in a covenant. And in a covenant, there's always a future. You have a relationship, you have a promise, and you have a future. I, I promise to be with you for how long? Till the end of my days, right? Till death do us part. That word covenant is a rich word, relationship, promise, and future. And, and another reason I love the word covenant is because it is found throughout Scripture. God makes several covenants with his people. Anyone know how many covenants God makes with his people in the Bible? Anyone have any idea? Seven covenants with his people throughout Scripture. And every one of those covenants, God says, I love you so much. I want a relationship with you. I love you so much that I'm going to make some promises to you. I love you so much that I promise a future for you, not just an abundant life during these few short years on earth, but I promise an eternal future 
with you. And when God makes a covenant, he always says this. And in every one of his covenants, he says, I'm going to be your God. And what? You're going to be my people. I'm your God and you're my people. In fact, when you think of the God of covenant, just think of this. God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. God's a promise maker and a promise keeper. So we're involved in this series of sermons where we're going through scripture, kind of looking at it from a high level. And so first we looked at the God of creation, right? He is the mighty creator. Nothing is too hard for him. We looked at the God of community. He exists in three persons, one God in three persons. He is community, that's his essence. And he creates us to desire and need community. Last time, Dave did a fantastic job in the God of redemption, that he purchased us back. He buys us back from slavery. And today we want to look at this, this rich concept of scripture, this rich truth in scripture, the God of covenant. He is the promise maker and he's the promise keeper. Now, what we're going to do is this. I'm going to look at the first covenant. It's called the a covenant with Abraham or the Abrahamic covenant. We're going to look at that. It's a, it, it kind of uh, encapsulates all the covenants. We'll quickly go through some of the other covenants and then we're going to end with and focus on and land on the new covenant that God makes with us. So take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 15. And as you're turning there, I'm gonna set the context. So um, Abraham has just had a victory in war uh, with his enemies. It was very, he was, uh, he was victorious. Uh, he won the battle and, and he's meeting with a king who is going to give him the spoils of battle. And Abraham says, no, I don't want any of the spoils. I don't want a thread from the enemy we, we just conquered. I don't want a strap of their sandals. I don't want anything from them because I will not let anyone say, you have made Abraham rich. I'm gonna leave that to God. I'm not gonna depend on any person. I'm not gonna depend on my employer my boss, the company I work with, God's going to be the one who provides for me. And when I depend on him, then I'm never disappointed. Now, Abraham was human. And right after he said that, he kind of feared that these people he had just defeated were going to go rally again together and come back and come after him. And so in chapter 15, verse 1, God says this, after these things where the Lord came to Abram, he's still named Abram at this point. And listen to this verse, mark it down. This is a powerful verse. Fear not. Now, why does God tell us to fear not? Because we're fearing something, right? Fear not. I am your what? I'm your shield, your reward will be very great. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. I'm your protector. And your reward, you refuse the reward from the kings. Your reward is going to be very great. Man, that's a powerful, powerful verse. I shared that, uh, you know, Tanchokan, our uh, pastor of our men's ministry, is going through some challenging times. We did an interview uh, this week to explain uh, his condition, and, and you can look at the interview, and we looked at this verse, uh, Genesis 15, 1. Fear not, I am your shield. 
I am your great reward. And I got a text uh, from, a, from a guy who's a pastor and a friend, and he said, I watched the interview, and he said that verse, Genesis 15:1, was my verse during a really hard stretch in my life. Maybe it can be your verse as well. Now, you ever have a verse of scripture? That's a pretty cool verse. And uh, it's a great promise, but you really don't know if you believe it or not. You, you can say yes. I'll say yes, right? That's what, Abraham, that's what Abraham did. God said, I'm your shield, I'm your great reward. And look, and look what Abraham says, but God, how are you gonna reward me? You see, back in chapter 12, God told Abraham, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you the father of a great nation. In fact, in chapter 12, verses one through three, the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant, God said, I am going to bless all the nations of the world through you. And Abraham now, 75 years old, around that age, he's saying, God, what are you going to do? You promised me you're going to bless every nation through me, and I don't even have a son. We are past childbearing age. We can't even have a son. So what's this great reward you're going to talk about? Look at verse 5. And God brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. Remember, 75-ish years old, well past childbearing years, does not have a son. God said you're going to be bless every nation. God, look up, uh, Abraham, look up in the sky and see all the stars. So shall your offspring be without even a son, 75 years old. And then look at verse six. And he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord. Abraham believed. He trusted in, what did he trust in? Did he trust in the fact that a son was standing beside him? No. He trusted in the promise that God had given and God counted or credited Can you read that? I can't. Credited it to him as righteousness. He said, here's the ledger. You trusted in me, and I am going to put righteousness on your account. He's not saying Abraham was sinless or Abraham was righteous. We're going to see he's not. But God credited it to his account. Mark that in your Bible. That verse is the essence of entering into a covenant relationship with God. Abram trusted God. He trusted God's promise. In faith, he trusted what God was going to do, even though it was physically impossible. And God credited or attributed to him as a, a right standing before God. Now, Abraham, again, wasn't perfect. But now he's righteous because of his what? Not his works, but his faith in God's promise. Now, with a covenant, a covenant there's also a sacrifice. In fact, in the Hebrew, instead of, instead of when they, they don't say we're going to make a covenant, they say we're going to cut a covenant because there's a sacrifice involved. And so Abraham went out and he found three large animals, uh, um, a heifer, a goat, and a ram, and then uh, two birds. And he cut, 
he sacrificed the three large animals and he cut them in two and he put like one on this side and he put one on this side and then one on this side. So he made a little path in between them. Uh, look at verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Those things represented God. In the Old Testament, fire was often a representation of God. A smoking fire pot and a flame, uh, a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Now, just think about what God has done. Sacrifice has been made. God in the spire walks through. And in doing so, normally, if it was a bilateral covenant where two people were like a marriage, a marriage is a bilateral covenant, right? This is called a unilateral covenant. One person's involved. If it was a bilateral covenant, Abraham would have walked through with God, right? But God is the one who initiates his covenant. God is the one who directs the covenant. God's the one who makes the promises of the covenant. And God is the one who ratifies the covenant. He says, I am your God and you're going to be my people. And he walks through and he makes this covenant with God. Now we'll stop there on the covenant. Abraham, 75 years old. How long is it before he has his first son? Anybody know? He was 99. So God like didn't turn it around the next day. But Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteous. Got to go through this quick, but, but I just want to show this real, real quick. So as we go through the Bible, we're taking this big uh, high, high level trip through the Bible, right? And one question is how in the world does an Old Testament person become a Christian or, or become a believer? Because, in, in, because we know that the only way to have a relationship with God is through whom? Jesus. That's it. So now I'm in the Old Testament. Jesus is not there yet. So how do I become a believer in the Old Testament? The answer is Genesis 15, 6. That is repeated by Paul in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, and again in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, to show that salvation is not by works, but it's all by grace, and it's always, always based on Jesus. I want you to see that. Salvation, Old Testament or new, is always based on Jesus. The one who's coming, the promise of the coming Messiah, I'm going to bless all nations through you. Abraham didn't know that was going to be Jesus. He didn't know what that was going to look like but he believed in the promise and it was credited to him as righteousness. So here's how Paul explains it in Galatians chapter three, uh, verses seven through nine. Galatians three, seven through nine. Paul says this, know that, know then that in those, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, okay? Those of faith are the sons of Abraham. Now we're in the New Testament and the scripture, and the scripture, the Old Testament Foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and the scripture, look at the next verse here. The scripture, check this out, the Old Testament preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham in saying, 
in you all the nations of the world shall be blessed. Here's this promise that's coming. Think about what Paul's saying. The Old Testament preached the gospel in saying, through you, all the nations of the world are gonna be blessed. And you believe in that promise, and it was credited to him as righteousness because we now know that it was Jesus who is gonna bless all the nations through Abraham. Okay, so let's think through that. You guys tracking with me? So in the Old Testament, the Old Testament believer, they are believing in the, in the promise of a coming Savior. They're believing in the promise of a coming Messiah. They don't know what Jesus looks like. They don't know what Jesus is going to say. They don't know when it's going to happen. But Abraham believed in the promise that he was going to, some, his offspring was going to bless all the nations of the world, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And Paul uses that verse to show not only how the Old Testament believer was saved, but how the New Testament believer is saved. A relationship with God, Old Testament or New Testament, the basis is always Grace. Always, it's a gift, can't earn it. The means is always faith, and the object is always Jesus. Old Testament or New Testament? Salvation, trust in God, being a child of God. The basis is always grace. The means is always faith, and the object is always Jesus. Let me show you how that works real quick. All right, let me show you some covenants. Here's the covenant we see in, uh, in Genesis. Remember Genesis chapter one and two, we have this covenant that God made. It's called the covenant of Eden. It's the innocence, Genesis one and two, no sin. And then Genesis three, there's the sin. And in chapter three, verse 15, we have what's called the, the pro-evangelium, the first mention of the gospel in scripture, when God says, I will put, speaking to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, between the woman's offspring and he, the woman's offspring, will bruise your head. He will crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. Satan bruised Christ's heel on the cross, but Jesus crushed his head as he conquered death itself. The first mention of scripture. And so when we're in the first covenant of the Bible, the covenant with Abraham, the Adamic covenant it's called, we always see Jesus. Even in the first covenant. Let's go to another covenant. The covenant with Noah. Uh, we see here, uh, it's in uh, Genesis chapter 5 and 6. But we see here, remember, God says to demonstrate that he is, his wrath comes against sin. He sends the flood. He tells Noah, I'm going to save you and your family from the wrath to come. And Noah builds a boat. God gives that beautiful rainbow as the symbol, remember? And then in Hebrews, we hear by faith, Abraham trusted in God and he became, he was counted to him as righteousness because he trusted in God. Now, just like that ark saved Noah from the wrath, right? Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, who's going to save us from the wrath to come? Jesus. The ark is a picture 
of Jesus. The, no, the, the covenant with Noah is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna judge sin, but I'm gonna send a savior, Jesus. Here's another one. Uh, the Mosaic covenant, the covenant with uh, Moses. The covenant with Moses was given to show the people of the Old Testament how to live, how to live a life pleasing to God. 600 commandments summed up in the 10 commandments. And through the, the law of the Old Testament, you were supposed to sacrifice every day because you were a sinner and you couldn't save yourself. And Paul tells us in the New Testament, in Galatians chapter 3, we won't have time to put on the screen, but, but the law was a guardian for us. It was a tutor. The law was simply there to see, to, to show you, see how, fall, how, how far short you fall every time. You're not supposed to covet, but remember you just wanted what you, wasn't yours. You're not supposed to, to lust after another, but, but you did. You're not supposed to steal something, but it's not always a physical stealing. Maybe stealing time. We're sinners to the core. The law just says you need a savior. It's a tutor. It's a guardian. And then Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, I didn't come to abolish the law, but what? To fulfill the law. I came as the answer to the law. I'm the one who saves you from this constant sin that's in your life. I'm the one who, when you believe in me, I credit to it to you as what? Righteousness. How about another one? Uh, real quick, here's the Davidic covenant. It's the covenant God made with uh, David. And basically there, he says, David, your, your kingdom is gonna be a kingdom that's gonna last forever. Wait a minute. How's David's human kingdom going to last forever? Well, because one is going to come through David's line, right? And what's his name? He's Jesus. In fact, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 says this, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of who? David. And so in the Davidic covenant, pointing to Jesus. And then we get to the new covenant. After David, there's Solomon. Nation of Israel had its heyday during that time. After Solomon, civil war, you have Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And then uh, they're taken over, they're taken captive. And then there were some difficult times because the rest of the Bible is really saying, see, you, you can't hold up to the law. You can't obey the law. And when you don't, there's discipline to that. Blessing and discipline. And Israel understood the discipline. And they were crying out for a savior. And then in Jeremiah chapter 31, the Old Testament still, the prophet, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. I won't read it all. But God says, I am coming and I'm going to make a new covenant with you. A brand new covenant. And I will put my law within them. No longer will it be written on stone, but I'm going to put it within their hearts. And I will be their God. And what? They will be my people. In fact, all the Bible's divided into two covenants, isn't it? The Old Covenant or Old Testament and the New Covenant or the New Testament. So wherever you are in Scripture... I can get a blank screen. Wherever you are in Scripture, if you're in the Old Testament, 
You're looking to the cross. And if you're in the New Testament, you're looking back at the cross. Jesus is the center, the centrality of Scripture is Jesus. Does that make sense? Isn't it cool that wherever you are in Scripture, you're looking at Jesus? And so when God says, I'm going to make these covenants with you, they're always about Jesus. In the Old Testament, I'm just, I'm just getting you prepared. I'm just getting you ready. We're looking to Jesus through the covenant with Moses, through the covenant with Abraham, through the covenant with David, through the new covenant. Get ready. The Messiah is coming. And in the New Testament, he's here. And we see him go to the cross. And we see him die for us. We see the one who gives us everything we need. God is the promise maker and the promise keeper. Wherever you are in scripture, salvation is based on grace. The means of salvation is always faith and the object is always Jesus. Let me read a couple passages here. Let's talk about the new covenant as we wrap up. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered to us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. That's the promise of the new covenant. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, of, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills. The law just reminds us that we're far from God, but the spirit gives life by God's Holy Spirit. We are drawn to God and we can live for him. Next week, we'll take communion. Man, it's been a long time, hasn't it? We've missed it. We're going to take communion. And as Jesus introduces communion in Luke 22, he says, this cup is poured out for you in the what? The new covenant of my blood. Remember in the Old Testament, there's always a sacrifice for a covenant. You cut a covenant. Sacrifice something to have a covenant. And the same thing happens in the new covenant. It's Jesus. It's Jesus who comes. And he dies for us on a cross. He is, as scripture tells us, the mediator of the new covenant. He is the, he is the initiator of the new covenant. He delivers the new covenant. He's the mediator of the new covenant. He guarantees the new covenant. And when we close our eyes in death, guess who's going to take us to that final promise? When we meet the Lord face to face. I love this, I love this, uh, this passage, Second Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. And that is why it is through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. Think about that, isn't it cool? Paul says, for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. So I got, a, I got a simple question. Those of you joining us online, those of you, just a real simple question. 
Have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone as the only way to have a relationship with the living God? Have you done that? From the beginning of Scripture to the end, it points to Jesus. There's not two ways of salvation. It's only through him. Have you trusted in him alone as the only way to have a relationship with the living God? Because all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. All the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus alone. As the song we're going to sing says, Father of kindness, you have poured out your grace. You brought me out of darkness. You filled me with peace. You're my help in the time of need. Listen, listen to the, the chorus. Just listen to these words. Faithful you are. Faithful forever you'll be. Faithful you are and all your promises are yes and amen. They find their fulfillment in Jesus alone because God is both the promise maker and what? Promise keeper. So Father, wherever we are in our walk with you, I pray that we would find our yes in Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you loved us so much that you desire a covenant with us, a relationship with us, always by grace, always by faith, always in Jesus. Every yes and amen is in him. For those who don't know you here, Lord, I pray. As the song is sung and the words, and, and, the, and the, these words representing the truth of Scripture fill our ears and fill this room, that this would be the day when we say yes to Jesus, knowing that every promise is fulfilled in the promise maker and the promise keeper. Thank you in Jesus' name.